You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Bob. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I can't complain. Let me introduce this. I'm Robert Wright, publisher of the Non-Zero Newsletter. This is the Non-Zero Podcast, and you are Sarah. And every time we have one of these conversations, I ask you whether you pronounce your last name Posner or Posner, and I never remember the answer. It's Posner. It's Posner. Okay. Uh, Glad we got that straightened out. Uh, You are, as many people know, journalist, author. Um, Is your most recent book Unholy? It is. How White white Christian Nationalists Powered the Trump Presidency and the Devastating Legacy They Left Behind. Uh, You also write sometimes for MSNBC. What else are you up to these days? uh, How are you spending your time? So I write a column for MSNBC. Um, I write a column for Moment Magazine, which is a Jewish magazine. Okay. And I contribute to Talking Points Memo. And I'm doing research for, a, well, hopefully a book that will be completely unrelated to the normal stuff that I write about. So. Whoa, that's got us guessing, but you're keeping a secret? Well, I'll just say that it is not, it does not the events that I'll, that I hope to be writing about did not take place in this century or the last. So it's really off, off my usual topic. You know, what's funny is I was uh, perusing your Twitter feed, as I still call it. Although your feed, I must say, has not been refreshed lately. And I want to ask you. Because I'm locked out. You're blocked out? Locked out. Locked out? Mm -hmm. Who who locked you? since, Since, you know, October, November of last year, almost a year. Elon locked you out or one of well, his... I don't know if Elon locked me out. I doubt that I'm I would... important enough for Elon to go to the trouble of locking me out. But I got locked out and either by design or incompetence, their customer service and tech support it has no way, it like is unresponsive in any kind of construction. Well, do, do they tell you that you committed some crime that yeah. they're refusing to specify? No. Yeah. That you just can't get an answer? It's like, I'm locked out of my account. What happened? And you can't get an answer? You get this circular answer, which is fill out this form. And then you fill out the form and it says customer service will be in touch with you. And then you get an email from customer service telling you to fill out the form again. Now, when it first happened, they tried, they had a interface that um, asked you to try again. And it used a recaptcha, you know, so like the recaptcha is usually like find all the staircases or find all the traffic lights. Well, this one was here is a rat and here are two fingers and you have to point the two fingers at the rat's ass. Wait, come on. I'm not not kidding. Look, I know that Elon (laughs) has degraded the Twitter, but has he Mm -hmm. really stooped to that depth? You have to point fingers at a rat's ass to stay on the site? Well, that was to just get it back into my account and it didn't even work. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I haven't, not that, I mean, I don't, uh, I actually don't really want to be on Twitter. Um, so it's been a blessing in disguise, so to speak. So, yeah, so I guess my account, if anyone were to go look at it, I haven't posted anything since sometime in late 2022. Do you think maybe you did commit something that was identified as a crime or some influential person complained that you were being mean or something? Possibly. You are mean, right? You're mean. I'm so mean. Everybody yeah. knows that about me. Yeah. Well, that's the first first word that comes <laughs> to my mind, I know. 
Um, the uh, anyway, back to what you're writing. Uh, I was perusing your feed, and at some point, uh, you were listing great books or books you loved, and you mentioned Hillary Mantel's Wolf Hall. Now, mm -hmm. as it happened, I'm I have known nothing about the book, but as it happened, uh, I'm staying in a place where I just noticed on the bookshelf there's a copy of Wolf Hall. So after I saw that on your Twitter feed, I went only moments ago, actually, looked at Wolf Hall, the book, and saw that it takes place in the 15th or 16th century or something. So you, and I was kind of surprised. I didn't know about this, 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 yeah. this side uh -huh. of you. Uh, but apparently you're, you're into, so is the book you're writing fiction or nonfiction? It's nonfiction. Well, I am trying to figure out whether I can gather enough factual information to write it as nonfiction or whether I would write it as historical fiction based on a true story. This is intriguing. I'm tempted yeah. to spend all of our time trying to figure out what you're <laughs> writing about. Right, can you give me any more clues? Is so, it so it involves an itinerant British aristocrat, a disputed will, um, bitter divorces, deceit, lies, possible murder. Sign me up. Sign me yeah. up. I'll put down a deposit. Uh, and this all happened. And the question is whether you can flesh it out enough to make it a nonfiction book. Right. So okay. um, <clears throat> it's kind of amazing how much information and content has been digitized around the world. Yeah. Um, thank you, Google. And thank you, mostly European um, European archives and libraries which are astonishingly super hyper-organized in the way that they even organize archives. Um, I've recently worked um, in, the, um, in the National Archives here in D.C. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was doing kind of like freelance research for a European documentary film company, also on a topic that's unrelated to uh, what I normally do. Um, but they hired me because I'm here and they needed somebody to uh, do stuff, do some research in the United States. And I ended up in the National Archives here. And when I say here, I mean Washington, D.C., sorry. Um, and I find their organization, I, at least on the topic that I was looking into, their organization and classification system somewhat like weirdly inscrutable. And you need an archivist to kind of guide you through it and it was difficult, whereas I was doing some research uh, digitally in Swiss archives recently, and the organizational system, uh, the way uh, the the tree of like information, you know, here's mm -hmm. the most general information, and then here are the files that fall under that category, was so well organized and easy to search and easy to find what you were looking for. And I don't know anything about archiving or even libraries, you know, like other than mm -hmm. using a library. Um, but it, I, I was super hyper impressed with the way it was organized, making it easy to use. Now, I don't mean to disparage the National Archives here. Um, the archivists are incredible in helping you locate the thing that you're looking for. It just seems to me that it's impossible to locate the thing you're looking for without their assistance. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure there will be an app for that sooner or later. Yes. Uh, the the um, 
It's probably an AI startup working on that very problem as we speak. The problem of too many human beings being involved in uh, in finding stuff. Um, well, yeah, no, there's an amazing amount of stuff online. I mean, there's like ancient Buddhist texts being digitized, both in original language and translation and so on. It's uh, the um, so uh, now you may or may not remember four years ago, I had a conversation with you on this platform, which was then still called Blogging Heads. Now it's non-zero. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it was with Mark Schmidt of uh, yep. New America. And yep. I was despairing. I What's that? I remember having that three-way conversation. Uh, one thing I think happened in the course of it, I don't know if this dominated the conversation, but I uh, professed some concern about the Democrats' chances in the election because it seemed to me that most of the Democrats seeking the nomination might not fare well in the general election and might not be able to beat the incumbent, Donald Trump. Um, one of them did, uh, act, as it happens, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, and you and Mark were much more sanguine than I was. Uh, but uh, in any event, I think even then, one problem I listed with Biden, which wasn't all that much talked about then, not nearly as much as now, was his age. Because I had noticed that he seemed to be uh, uh, slipping sometimes, uh, in my view. Um, anyway, now suddenly everyone's, and I mean suddenly like in the last few weeks, right? This has become a much, uh, there's been big pieces in the New York Times, the Washington Post, plus David Ignatius of the Washington Post, of course, uh, came out saying he's too old. And that was like a big thing because Ignatius is such an establishment columnist so plugged into the national security uh, apparatus and so on. Um, and I actually have no idea how you feel about this. I have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> um, mainly that I think it's a huge distraction. It's not it, Biden dropping out because of his age is not going to happen in any rational world, any rational world of political strategy or political forecasting. Um, and I think it's a very sad sign of the way the political media kowtows to the, the political strategists who, you know, come and whisper in their ear. Uh, and who do, you think, who do you think is doing the whispering? I mean, I don't mean individual people necessarily, but do you have a sense for the sector from which this I is have, coming? I have no doubt that there are Democratic strategists who think that Biden is too old, right? They're worried about youth turnout. I mean, that's something to worry about, obviously, right? Uh, you know, the Democratic Party needs young people to turn out because they're overwhelmingly not Republicans. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, especially in these, you know, uh, do we still call them swing states? <laughs> you know, these states that Trump won in 2016 and Biden won in 2020. Um, so, uh, I have no doubt that there are some democratic strategists who are freaking out about it, but you also have to remember that the entire Republican party has gone to town on Biden's age for mm -hmm. you know, basically since he took office. Um, the 
disparaging memes and faked pictures and, you know, deep fake videos and like all of these things are the Republican Party and the MAGA movement trying to portray Joe Biden as weak and feeble, especially in comparison to their very virile guy, Donald Trump. So the idea that we're having a conversation about Joe Biden, who's having a, you know, a pretty successful presidency, all things considered, who's only three years older than Donald Trump, who's under four indictments and tried to stage a coup. And the conversation is about whether Joe Biden should be dropping out of the presidential race is just like the height of absurdity. Yeah, but you understand, like from my point of view, I'm one of the people doing the talking. And it's not because I like Trump or I'm in the, in the under the control of Republican operatives. It's because I'm worried about Trump getting reelected. Same thing. I, I mean, getting elected the same thing I was worried about uh, last time. And I think you could name a lot of Democratic candidates who would have no trouble beating Trump. I mean, they're I not running. I, I don't think at this stage in the race you could name any one of them. Right. Because the issue is that, you know, we're so far along that, you know, switching gears at this point in the race. I mean, I know it's more than a year away. Mm -hmm. The general election is more than a year away, but that's, that's a very short time in the context of the way we run political campaigns in this country. And I think that having Biden drop out, I think would be a greater sign of weakness of the democratic party than him staying in. Uh, And I think that, Kamala Harris has also been the target of, you know, undermining campaigns um, to make it seem like to make it seem to Democrats that she would be an inadequate uh, replacement for Biden should anything happen to him in office or even before the election. Right. So um, I just I don't I just don't see it like I don't think if if there was a candidate who could beat Trump who had a better chance of beating Trump than Biden, why didn't that candidate emerge in 2020? Um, good question. Uh, and I should say, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm actually another one that has apparently fallen for the propaganda about Kamala <laughs> Harris. I, I worry that she wouldn't beat Trump. And my my ideal scenario, I mean, I look, I think the best argument against trying to, uh, to address my concerns by coming up with another candidate is that, there's no scenario where it both happens and doesn't hold some risk of leaving the party uh, divided in a way that would hurt it in the election. Uh, because in my scenario, actually, it's not Biden dropping out. If Biden drops out, you almost have to make Harris uh, the can or he he almost has to anoint her. And uh, I'm not uh, personally, I don't think her prospects against Trump are great. Um I think and, Biden's prospects against Trump, against Trump are better than hers. So I think they may be. I think they may be. Dropping yeah. out would be beneficial. Yeah. I'm not. No, that's not my, my dream scenario. At least I started saying this months and months ago, uh, back when it uh, might have been less damaging. But my dream scenario was for some actual credible candidate, you know, somebody who's in the Senate or or even just like a former, you know, somebody who has a real track record, was governor for a while, some credible candidate, like not Robert Kennedy Jr., you know. Uh, not Cornell West. No, somebody that people would take seriously. Yes. uh, And would step in and the polls would immediately show that, whoa, this is a credible candidate. I think, look, you've seen the polls. 
a large majority of Democrats don't want him to be the candidate, right? Well, okay. The issue is that name recognition is huge. And I think people like us overestimate the name recognition of other potential candidates to the general voting populace. Mm -hmm. It's way too late to put somebody else in the game unless it was somebody who's like just so well known and all of those people are also too old. Um, So uh, I I just don't see like I I just don't see how that happens. And I think uh, Democrats. Okay, let me just preface this by saying I have no doubt whatsoever that Biden will beat Trump in the popular vote. It's the Electoral College that I worry about because when was the last time a Republican won the popular vote? But, you know, obviously the popular vote doesn't decide the election. So, you know, that's the thing that we have to be concerned about and worry about. Um, But I also think that um, we've seen in elections, you know, off year non-candidate, in some cases, non-candidate elections, just like ballot initiatives in Kansas, Ohio and Wisconsin that Dobbs is extremely motivating to Democratic voters. That's and the so Supreme I think you, Court, the Supreme Court ruling on overruling Roe versus mm-hmm. Wade. And I, I think the abortion issue is extremely motivating. And that's why you see Trump saying, oh, you know, Ron DeSantis's six week abortion ban was a terrible mistake. That's why he's saying it. You know, he's the one who made the six six week abortion ban possible by nominating all the anti row justices to the Supreme Court. Right. So mm-hmm. it's absurd for him to be saying that now. But he's doing this very Trumpian thing by saying it was a terrible mistake for DeSantis to sign the six week abortion ban into law because he's trying to signal to general election voters that maybe, oh, I'm not so extreme on abortion. Well, Democrats should no way let him get away with that sleight of hand, because if it hadn't been for his Supreme Court nominees, states wouldn't be able to uh, pass six-week abortion bans into law. Uh, So I think you also have to take into account all of these countervailing things that are different from 2020. The fact that, you know, Roe has already been overturned, whereas in 2020, it was, um, it hadn't happened yet, but Trump had already put his Supreme Court justices in place. Um, Trump is under indictment, contrary to sort of the popular wisdom that has taken hold. His subsequent indictments after the Alvin Bragg indictment have loosened voters' uh, favorability ratings of him. So there are a lot of things in play. And I think the making of Joe Biden's age as like the number one thing is is a distraction from all of those other things. Yeah. Let me, uh, before we move, uh, talk about other aspects of the race, including the Republican side and Ron DeSantis and so on. Let me ask you one more question about the uh, Democratic side. I mean, first of all, I think nothing is better uh, for your name recognition than suddenly becoming the front runner uh, in one of the major two parties for president, especially when, uh, you know, you would be the person who's going to oppose Donald Trump. I mean, I think name recognition can take care of itself pretty fast. In fact, we've had a number of candidates that weren't all that widely known at a popular level. Jimmy Carter, probably Bill Clinton, although he's, he was known by political insiders, uh, Clinton. But, you know, we've had people come out of relative obscurity. Um, but uh, but in any event, uh, here, here's a question 
my kind of uh, a, a person I sometimes mention as an example of what I mean about somebody I think could easily beat Trump, even though not super high name recognition, not much charisma, but but smart enough and accomplished enough so that on a debate stage, I just think he'd completely outclass Trump. And that is Chris Murphy of Connecticut. I'm just curious as to your view of like, how do you think Chris Murphy would have a better chance than Joe Biden of beating Trump? No, you don't. Why no. is that? Um, because he wouldn't by putting his name in the ring that wouldn't automatically make him the front runner. It would only make him the front runner. No, but I mean, assuming he were the Democratic nominee. Assume that. But would he, he get to be the a Democratic nominee? Okay, but it's a thought experiment. I mean, the question <laughs> is, do you think uh, that, uh, and I concede it's probably too late for stuff like this to happen. But I, I just, I mean, I guess we have very different views of Biden. I think Biden's very vulnerable and it's not going to get better. He's aging. Uh, and, so is Trump. Well, no, I'm I saying mean, let's try to make it not like be an old Trump, man too. But uh, a different kind of old man, an energetic, uh, a different kind of look. Yeah, his age is a vulnerability, too. And I'm saying let's don't give that away by by having a candidate for whom it's even more of a vulnerability. You know, let's exploit that. That's what I mean. That's when I say, look, it's not that hard to find a Democrat who completely outclasses Trump on the debate stage. That's one thing I'm talking about. Have it be somebody under 70. And what a radical Trump idea. going to agree to do a debate. Well, I, mean, I think he will he will refuse at his peril personally. But, um, uh, you know, uh, but uh, we'll see. Uh, anyway, um, I, I, I think he'll agree to debate Joe Biden. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think that hypothetically, right, hypothetically, yeah. Chris Murphy is an attractive candidate from the standpoint that, you know, he's served a long time in the Senate, which can be a vulnerability in and of itself. Um, he's very strong on the gun issue, which would be very delightful to see on the national stage and the presidential uh, on the presidential stage. I just don't think. Yeah, I mean, like you're right. He doesn't really have charisma, whatever. Um, but I think the bottom line is, you know, that's all hypothetical because the bottom line is if if Biden were to say today or tomorrow that he was, you know, dropping out and retiring, what does that do to the rest of his term? I mean, like, well, does, this, does this, he this, get anything else done? Oh, this is a problem with all second term presidents. The nation has survived. But he's not a second term president. I know, but I mean, the <laughs> phenomenon is not a radically new one for the for the country to confront. Yeah. It happened with Obama. It happened with George W. Bush. It happened with Reagan. It happened with Clinton. Um, the uh, so yeah, well, anyway, I guess it would take away, you know, Matt Gates's zeal to impeach him. But like, that's just a, you know, a ridiculous sideshow anyway. So, yeah, I don't yeah, know. we hope. I mean, but that's the other thing is I think, uh, um, you know, basically there are wild cards. Uh, you know, there there are strengths Biden has going in in terms of what he's accomplished and how things are going and so on. And then there are wild cards. And it seems to me that most of the wild cards will either uh, turn up neutral or bad for him. And I, I think uh, one example is the Ukraine war. I don't think there's going to be some magical great ending and things could be worse. Um, and uh, another is Hunter Biden, I think. I mean, I think uh, regardless of what actually happened there, I think it's possible that people like Matt Gates should could uh, you know succeed in getting a kind of 
publicity, just raising enough questions that, I mean, Hunter is 100% downside for Joe. It's like, there's just nothing, it's just an unfortunate situation for him. Uh, there are things that people aren't aware of, by and large, that are a little shady. We don't know what happened, but uh, I just worry about the, uh, and then his age is a wild card. Uh, maybe Trump's too, to some, uh, in the sense that we don't know whether, how much worse it could get in a year. Um, in terms of just how vibrant he looks, how coherently he speaks, uh, and so on. But I'll leave it at that and give you the last word on that subject um, before we move on. Yeah, I just I just think that the the downsides of him dropping out or passing the yeah. torch outweigh him staying. I mean, I think we have a problem in our politics of people staying in politics too long. Yeah. Chuck Grassley, Dianne Feinstein, Mitch McConnell. I mean, the list yep. goes on. I mean, what's the average age in the Senate? It's like in the, their late 60s or early 70s. It's ridiculous. And it's especially ridiculous. You can see why the Republicans want to do it because their base is old. But the base of the Democratic Party is young. Now, this is not an argument for Joe Biden to drop out right now. Like, I think that that's like a unique situation that has to be sort of like assessed on the merits. And we've discussed that. But I think by and large, the age of Democrats, particularly in the Senate, is or, or you know, of Democrats and Republicans is ridiculous. But it's especially ridiculous for a party whose base is young and whose possibilities of growth rely on that young base. Yeah. Um it's it's uh yeah, so you think that behind the the dump Biden movement is basically strategists like Carville. I mean, Car Carville has gone on the record, right? Uh, more or less. yeah, what? I don't understand why 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 does anybody listen to James Carville? Why? Uh, well, he did get he did help get Clinton elected and reelected, okay. right? Yeah, it was, it was a while ago, but that was ancient history. I mean, isn't it time for Democrats to listen to somebody? I mean, like he's complaining that Biden is too old. Well, maybe he's too old to listen to. I mean, it's just like, you know, he's from another era. I mean, dude, I mean, I am pretty sure. OK, I, you know, I am pretty sure that if I pulled, you know, 20 somethings that I know that they would have no idea who he even is. Yeah. Right. You and I know who he is because we were sentient adults in the Clinton era. But a lot of Democratic voters do not know him. I mean, probably. You know, people who watch MSNBC know him because, you know, he goes on the air and pontificates about stuff. But, you know, I think part of the part of the problem in our politics, you know, aside, let's set aside the, you know, yes. authoritarianism of the Republican Party. Let's look at problems within the, the Democratic Party structure. And one of them is just this inability to move past sort of your typical you know, inside Washington political strategists. And, uh, you know, okay, you can say Carville's not inside Washington, that he's from Louisiana and all this other stuff, whatever. But, you know, it's just kind of this um, fossilized view of, how, you know, how to do things. And I, I just don't see why it keeps going that way. Yeah. Um, so on the Republican side, I assume you think Trump is pretty much a done deal or you think someone could uh could could gain unexpected momentum uh, yeah. It, it, uh yeah it's very unclear who that person might be right uh yeah. 
<clears throat> because DeSantis has just crashed and burned. I mean, I think that is just few people disagree with that, right? I mean, I think the political press loves to have a story that like, oh, you know, here's DeSantis's new strategy because like it gives them something else to like a new twist to report on, but he just doesn't seem to be making traction. And I think um, Trump just has a hold on a, on a large enough segment of the Republican primary base that, um, you know, that none of the others can challenge him. And I think also like they have the same problem they had in uh, 2016, which is that there are too many people running against him. Mm -hmm. But there's Uh also no clear person of that group of people who could beat him. And I remember in 2016, they tried to make Ted Cruz that kind of last minute person who could maybe, you know, if everybody else dropped out, maybe Ted Cruz could beat him. But, you know, Um, that didn't work. And I don't think it'll work this time either if they decide they want to anoint, you know, DeSantis or Nikki Haley or whoever they think might do the trick. uh, Do you think DeSantis ever had a chance? I mean, if he had uh, pursued a different strategy or Trump is just, uh, there's just too many Republicans who like Trump a whole lot. Yep. It's the the problem. That's the problem. Because DeSantis tried to out-Trump Trump. You know, he did his whole anti-woke thing and he signed yeah. the six-week abortion ban and he just, you know, he talked about spiritual warfare and really tried to, like, uh, press all the buttons of the evangelical base. And while I think if you asked a lot of these voters if they thought that um, DeSantis has been a good governor of Florida, they would say absolutely. But when put up against Trump, like, nobody can compare. hmm so N- Nikki Haley has no prayer either. Honestly, I just don't think a woman has a prayer in the Republican uh, primary. Hmm. Um, and I, yeah, and I can't think of any of the others who would, you know, like, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy became the flavor of the moment after the debate, but like then he sort of faded because he's not a serious candidate. Hmm. Um I mean, not that Trump is a serious candidate, but you know what I'm saying. He's, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, hope, I hope people who listen only could see my little air quotes. Um, I just think that when it comes to the Republican base, Trump has a hold for three reasons. One is that there are voters out there who don't think that hard about it, but consider Trump to have been a successful president and before that a successful. Uh, TV personality and successful businessman. And that's like sort of like an an unshakable view of him being strong and successful and wealthy and all of that. Then there's his white evangelical base who just believes that he was, you know, anointed by God to save America at this very critical moment. And he nominated these justices to the Supreme Court and did these other things. And, you know, he's he's our guy. Um, and that's not going to change regardless of what he says about abortion, because he's already proved to us that um, he's he's in our camp on abortion. And if he wants to hoodwink uh, moderate or independent voters for the general election, what do we care? We know he's in our camp. Uh-huh. And then there's the kind of um, the Republican voter who showed up for the insurrection. Maybe they didn't smash open the windows of the Capitol and go inside, but they showed up and they would 
show up for Trump in the sense that they think he was wronged. They think he's wronged by the liberal media or by woke liberals or whatever. And they just sort of vaguely fall into that camp of um, we think liberals are bad and we want to own the libs and cancel, you know, conservatives are being canceled and all that. And so like when Mm -hmm. you put all of that together, I, you know, I think his, his hold on the base is hard to shake. So how do you think about the, 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 the swing, you know, the, the potential swing vote? I mean, where, wh- wh- what is the big question mark over say a, a Trump versus a Biden election in terms of outcome? Is it whether a certain identifiable group of voters bothers to vote or stays at home or is it uh, who who are you thinking of as in play? And in what sense are they in play? Is the question whether they'll vote at all or is the question whether they'll vote for Trump or Biden? Are there many people that could still go either way on that or what? I think there are many people who would go either way on whether they're going to vote for Trump or Biden. I mean, I think those people are out there, but I mean, has has there ever been so much information publicly available about a candidate as there is about Donald Trump? Uh, you don't often <laughs> see two two people who have served four years as president running against each other. That's uh, right. In the, yeah, not in our That's lifetime. right. I mean, I think that for Democrats, the key is going to be, like it was in 2020, um, for Biden to win states like Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin and Arizona and Georgia, right? I mean, that's what's going to turn the electoral college. And I think in those states, it's voter turnout is key to spend a lot of time um, trying to convince voters who haven't yet made up their minds by October, November of 2024. It's mm-hmm. probably not the best use of the time as compared to mobilizing voters who are going to be energized by particular issues. I mean, sure, there are voters who are going to be energized by being opposed to Trump, but I, Democrat, you know, Democrat or uh, independent voters who are energized by being opposed to Trump, but like, it's not going to take a lot of work to get those voters to the polls, right? Like if they're energized by being opposed to Trump, then, you know, Mm -hmm. like your work is pretty straightforward. Um, I think, Um, The key, probably, if there's one key, and there probably, you know, there usually isn't, but if there's one key, I think that's an easy, easy one to identify for Democrats, um, it's the abortion issue. And to keep it in play, to keep it like this is this is the world the Republicans want. Bans on abortion, criminalizing abortion, throwing doctors in jail, um, putting, you know, reading, you know, having the government read your Facebook messages to see, you know, like that you were planning to go get an abortion, banning abortion pills, like all of that, you know, I think that that's, that has shown, it's been shown to very much energize voters Um, in Kansas, Ohio, Ohio, a very red state, um, energized voters to vote no on that uh, uh, ballot referendum over the summer. So um, I think that is, that is a top issue for um, for Democrats to focus on. And I think Trump knows that, which is exactly why he uh, criticized DeSantis on the abortion ban. OK. And what was Nikki Haley's uh, attempt? Uh, I think you wrote something about this, but I haven't read it. I, and I didn't watch the last Republican d- uh, debate. What, how did she try to get around? What did she say about contraception or something? Yes. 
So now there's a move, particularly by Republican, female Republican candidates, to talk about contraception because they know um, that, you know, in Justice Thomas's concurrence in Dobbs, he talked about, well, like maybe uh, Griswold versus Connecticut, which is the. uh, Which which overruled a state level ban on contraception. Contraception for married couples. Um, in the 1960s, maybe that's on the chopping block, too, because of Dobbs. Uh-huh. And so, you know, these Republican women realize that this is just like a complete if abortion is a complete loser for them, how would banning contraception yeah. work? Right. So they're really going for it with trying to change the conversation to be about contraception. And that's what Nikki Haley tried to do at the debate you know, said, we should really be talking, you know, says, I don't want to talk about abortion. Let's talk about contraception. It's like, yeah, you don't want to talk about abortion because your party has this extreme position and is imposing these draconian uh, penalties on women and doctors uh, for obtaining an abortion. And it's like completely on the, you know, fringe extreme side of, of abortion. And that's where the party is right now. And so you're just mm-hmm. trying to change the subject if they really cared if if the thing about it is that if they really cared about abortions and abortions are wrong and we should have fewer abortions they would have been pushing for contraception you know handing out contraception on street corners right i mean mm-hmm. h- how do you what's the best way of uh stopping a pregnancy before an abortion is needed yeah so uh i guess trump that's not that's not a line he's probably likely to try to use in the general like but I'm pro but I'm pro contraception <laughs> yeah <laughs> that you are um the uh uh he's and so you think this will inevitably hurt him I mean so long as DeSantis is in the race he can contrast himself as you said with DeSantis citing DeSantis's uh whatever the six week thing in Florida mm-hmm. and sound relatively liberal on abortion but come the general election that doesn't help he can't keep talking about DeSantis that's right I mean although maybe he could uh maybe he thinks it's a good strategy in the general because he could say I'm not a Republican like Ron DeSantis I'm against mm-hmm. these six week bans but what difference does it make the president doesn't have any control over whether state legislatures pass six week abortion bans. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a meaningless it's a you know from a policy or legal perspective, it's a meaningless promise. Yeah. As are most of Trump's promises anyway. Now do you think the war on woke is not at all a political winner for him? It doesn't seem to have done a lot for DeSantis, but that could just be because uh Republicans trust Trump to prosecute the war on woke uh to the full extent of his capabilities. Um what what's your take on that? I, I well, I th- there's some polling out there that shows the war on woke has kind of run its course with you know voters overall. But I do think it's very energizing to some members of the Republican base, particularly those who spend a lot of time online and mm-hmm. you know just get embroiled in all of these you know meme wars or get you know outraged at some uh, news item about whatever right like a teacher who used the correct pronouns for a kid and then you know like it becomes a a whole uh uh you know thing (laughs) part of their discourse 
So, um, and I think that for um, a lot of uh, right-wing conservative movement organizations, the war on woke is a, you know, a fundraising tool, but I don't think it's necessarily that motivating. I don't think it's motivating at all for general election voters. Um, and you see, I mean, I think that um, DeSantis, I mean, you know, DeSantis has gotten nowhere with Republican voters on it. I mean, there are other reasons for that, um, including Trump's durability that we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. and also that DeSantis is just a terrible, I mean, he's just a terrible candidate, like by any like standard of like, how does this, how does this candidate interact with people? I mean, he's just like painfully terrible. Yeah. Yeah. In some respects. I mean, on paper, he looked, you know, kind of good to me. Uh, anyway, it ain't working out. Do you, on the woke thing, are there particular issues that you think Trump could trot out in a debate to contrast himself with Biden that would put Biden in an uncomfortable, an uncomfortable position? The one that comes to my mind is sports. Like, I think most uh, parents uh, who have daughters who would like to compete in high school sports, if you say to them, should a male be allowed to compete with your daughter for the number one spot on the tennis team? And if he, you know, uh, and so on, you know, most of them, Democrats and Republicans are just going to say no, of course. And uh, I guess, uh, and, and I don't know what Biden said about that, but I assume is he, isn't he kind of hemmed in on, on that issue, uh, or are there issues where he can kind of break ranks with some elements of the progressive coalition on, on wokeness? And do you even agree with me that maybe that's the most vulnerable one? There are other issues that you can, you know, uh, that maybe Trump could make some hay out of, but what do you think about that? I just, I mean, I, I mean, I am, you know, I've, I've looked at the polling data on this and I'm in the minority, obviously, of Americans uh, who thinks that, uh, you know, trans women should be allowed to compete uh, in schools and university sports on women's teams. I just don't have an issue with it. Um, and I think it's the only fair and right thing to do. Um, but I also, I, I have also looked at the polling data on that and I I see the direction that that has gone in, um, which is that uh, people oppose it because they think it's not fair. Um, Now, I think it's an issue that has been extremely motivating to Republican voters just because it's been presented to them for so long. Um, like well before this entered kind of the national conversation. And so it's kind of, it became one of their hot button issues along with, you know, uh, marriage equality and abortion many, many years ago. Um, you, you mean, you mean the sports issue in particular or mm-hmm. okay. The sports issue in particular. Okay. Um, along with, you know, bathroom access. That is another one that seems to me you could, uh, Trump could get some mileage out of, but go ahead. It's been a loser even in red states. So the sports has been the thing that has been more motivating for Republicans. However, I think on the national stage, when, you know, the country is facing, you know, 
kind of existential issues like climate change and um, uh, gun violence and, you know, the, the erosion of democracy, that that just seems so, I mean, I know that for the people involved, it's a huge issue, right? Mm-hmm. But like, if you're going to go to the polls on election day and say, okay, this one guy, he tried to stage a coup. He's under indictment for four things, including trying to stage a coup, cover it up, intimidate witnesses, stealing classified documents, trying to cover that up too, intimidating witnesses, tampering with witnesses. And the other guy uh, thinks that it's uh, a fairness issue for trans women to play on uh, women's and girls' sports teams. I mean, like, I mean, like how is that even remotely? Well, actually, uh, I've known a lot of parents and I've been a parent and I can well imagine. I think one question is, how many parents are there who have daughters who are seriously into sports and it's like a big deal to them? But to my mind, like the day is never going to come when you can realistically expect parents who have uh, who, who have daughters uh, who who are doing sports in junior high or, or high school or, or whatever to say, oh, sure, it's fine if 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 some uh, guy with seven times the musculature of my daughter comes in and unseats her on the tennis team. And all the time we've spent, uh, you know, making her better tennis players for not that is never going to come. There are a lot of instances where the trans girl or trans woman has joined the team and no one has a problem. And also the number of times this this has actually happened that a trans yeah. girl or woman wants to join a team is really, really small. Yeah, I think that's the other <laughs> hope is that uh, for Biden is that parents, uh, you know, kind of put it in perspective. I don't think the issue actually meaningfully comes up a whole lot. Uh, it but, 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 but and also in, in a lot of instances when it does, the other players are perfectly fine with it. It, it, it That can happen. I mean, especially in a team sport where. You know, and and most sports is team sports where if it's like one edition of the team. It's not like someone is being shoved off stage. Tennis is actually unusual uh, in the sense that there's like one person who can be the the top, the high school's number one player and they'll compete in that form, uh, you know, in that role against everyone and so on. Uh, And and that's the clearest uh, case. But am I right in thinking that Biden, that uh, that the politics of the situation do force Biden to defend the position uh, that, uh, yes, your daughter has to deal with this. I I believe that it is the position of the civil rights division at the Department of Education. Right, right. right. Okay. Um, What other uh, what are the things you worry about? Let's imagine a Biden Trump thing. What do you think are the uh, the scariest wild cards or Biden's biggest vulnerabilities or Trump's biggest strengths, you know, with the kinds of voters you're concerned about. And uh... Well, there's obviously the disinformation problem, which we haven't talked about today. Um, and so I think that 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 is obviously always going to be a big concern, um, you know, right up until Election Day, disinformation about voting, how to vote, whether your vote is secure, disinformation about Biden, disinformation about Kamala Harris, disinformation about Hunter Biden. Um, 
it's, you know, I mean, I think that it's just something that we have to, um, it's going to be omnipresent for the foreseeable future. I mean, obviously it was present always in politics, but now, um, you know, there are tools to make it easier to create and to transmit widely. Yeah. I mean, one question is, uh, how good will the AI bots be? I think pretty good. I think pretty good. I mean, I I think they are going to be deployed big time. Uh, You know, and Elon Musk uh, Mm -hmm. saying uh, his latest uh, controversy, and I should say we're taping this uh, some days before it'll appear, Uh, you know, uh, four or five days before it'll appear. But so I'm trying not to talk about super, super topical stuff, but uh, Musk wants to start charging all Twitter users, apparently, to be Twitter users. And his his case in this part, I, I take seriously. I don't know whether you have to charge people to do this, but I think this is a worthy goal uh, to be sure that everybody on there is an actual human being. And 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 if they are uh, deploying bots, you can at least find out who the human behind the bot is. I think that would be nice. Uh, but in any event. Uh, I think this could uh, it could get weird. It could get weird on both sides uh, as uh, as people uh, and not necessarily like big political players to deploy the the bots, just like creative hackers um, could get weird. Yeah, I mean, it got weird in 2016 and 2020. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't. (laughs) I think that it could develop in ways that we can't foresee or anticipate right now. Um, But I think I kind of feel like that could be the biggest wild card because I do think that, you know, just to circle back to what we talked about at the beginning, at the top, you know, I think that disinformation about Biden's age has already been deployed. Like, you know, you see, Mm -hmm. you've seen on social media, these, you know, deep fakes of him you know, uh, you know, doctored pictures, deep fake videos, you know, sort of fake stuff about him looking really feeble and weak. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I could see that being something where. Uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, I was actually thinking about conversational bots, but. Um, so that too, but yeah. But, sure. but you're right. I mean, the deep fakes is maybe the biggest, uh, the biggest issue. I don't know. Um, so listen, we've been talking close to an hour, uh, and what we typically do on the Non-Zero Podcast is uh, is do you know this much uh, as a public podcast, and then move into overtime, which is available to paid subscribers of the Non-Zero newsletter, which I encourage everyone to become. Uh, you can click on the link in the show notes uh, to get to a place where you could subscribe, uh, and or you can Google Non-Zero and Substack. Uh, and you will have the uh, deep satisfaction of knowing that you're supporting uh, worthwhile conversations, if you consider them worthwhile. And if you don't, my question is, what are you doing still listening at this point? You should, <laughs> you should, you should re-examine your priorities. You shouldn't hate watch. You should never hate watch for more than ten minutes. It's bad. Um, so before we go, Sarah, anything else you want to say about uh, your own stuff? Other books you want to mention? Uh, no point, I guess, in trotting out your Twitter handle. Uh. <laughs> well, um, I am on Blue Sky, which is the oh, aren't we special? Oh, can I have an invite? I mean, what am I, chopped liver? 
you, you can have you, an invite. You can. You have you the invite. power to invite me. I do. I have five invite codes. My ship has come in. <laughs> uh, that's that's good. Okay, so what's your what's your handle on Blue Sky? Have you memorized Same as it? Same on yet? Twitter. Yeah, which is what at Sarah Posner, just my okay. name. Um, okay. and uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's very interesting just to see. I was a, a a later adopter of Twitter than I am, relatively speaking, of of Blue Sky. It's sort of interesting to see um, how a new social media platform takes shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people say it feels a little bit like Twitter in the early days before all the Nazis came to Twitter. And um, and I guess it does feel a little a little bit like that. I mean, for me, I think the jury is still out. Like, I'm still trying to figure out, like, what I want. What do I want out of social media? And um, do any of these social media platforms satisfy that? But I think for now, given that I'm locked out of Twitter um, and I didn't have any interest in using threads, uh, you know, Blue Sky seems to be the best option. I did try Mastodon and I did try Post and I didn't like either of those. And so mm-hmm. I just kind of abandoned my accounts there. So um, I'm happy to give you or any of your any of your listeners paid or unpaid an invite code. That would be, that's a great, that's good paywall bait. On the other side of the paywall, we have four Blue Sky invites. Um, the, uh, so um, anyway, I'm not, I'm not saying that we do that. I don't want to get sued. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so thanks everybody who's listening this far. I hope you'll stick with us for the rest of the conversation. And in any event, we are now headed into overtime where we're going to talk about, I want to, I want to talk more about the social media thing, including uh, how bad you think Elon Musk is. Okay. So overtime begins now. <laughs> 